0: guest on this week's episode of Susan Search is Aaron Lee, Vice President of Paid Search at Tenuity. Aaron is one of the most popular and influential PPC experts in the world. He is a mainstay on PPC Heroes' list of the top 25 PPC experts in the world. He's a talented presenter who has spoken at numerous conferences, including HeroConf, SMX, the Utah DMC, and the Paid Search Association Conference. Aaron's also a terrific blogger who's been published in Search Engine Journal and Search Engine Land. He frequently appears on podcasts and webinars. I caught up with Aaron after a really interesting year for PPC. There were changes to keyword match types and default ad types, and changes at Google and Facebook that impacted audience targeting. Frankly, it was a good time to catch up with someone with Aaron's breadth of knowledge to talk about it all. Aaron manages a huge team at Tenuity. They work with some of the biggest brands in the world on some of the most complex PPC campaigns anyone can imagine. I'm going to ask Aaron about how to manage a large team and create repeatable processes. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Aaron Levy. We'll talk about why you should pay for your brand terms. We'll talk about where PPC is headed next, and I'll chat a little bit about how advertiser behavior will change coming out of COVID. Aaron, welcome to Susan Search. How are you I'm doing, doing? Well, on? it's uh,
1: it's been a little bit of a weird day, but I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you on. I, I'm going to let you in on something. You are our 100th episode of Southern search exactly 100th. So you win the grand prize and you have a great beer. So you seem like a perfect hundredth guest. You have a great beer. I am
1: drinking plain chicken nuggets, uh, which according to the label, unfortunately does not contain any actual chicken nuggets, Um, (laughs) but it's, I'll I'll have to find the description and share it with you all afterwards. It's a a brewery called Stickman, which is out in the burbs of Philadelphia, but they have a little tap room right by my house. Um, yeah, it's uh, even a gourmand can enjoy a plain chicken nugget sometimes. It might not be their favorite, but it's going to be nice when it shows up. <laughs> Same
0: with the beer. Nice, and I agree. We were talking offline about the inverse relationship between the prettiness of the can and the taste of the beer. I think this is almost always right, but you said in this case, not so. And I want to make sure you get credit for that because I think it's spot on. For a <laughs> yeah, this one's,
1: this one's tasty. It, uh, that theorem was inspired by Clown Shoes Brewery, which... No disrespect to clown <laughs> shoes, but not my favorite flavor. But I love the names.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, you're obviously recognized all over as one of the top PPC experts in the world. What a year it has been for PBC. Has anything happened that we want to talk about? I wonder. <laughs> uh, everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I'll just kind of go through some some hot button issues, and then we can kind of talk about you guys and your management style and some things that are unique about you. But you know, like, right off the bat, for a while, for a pretty long time, we had four keyword match types. And I think everyone was pretty happy with that. Like, nobody was really complaining. Then earlier this year, they sort of, like, I mean, you describe it better than me, but, like, they sort of combined modified, broadened phrase, and now there's only three match types. Now I'm reading as I'm preparing for this, Amy Bishop and Search Engine Journal. There's, like, updates to keyword matching processes for a phrase and broad I'm still confused why they changed something that everyone liked at the beginning of the year. As we film here on almost October 2021, where are we with these match types? What can (laughs) an advertiser do and what control do we have? So
1: I've given this feedback to my friends at Google many a times. I think match types have a giant uh, branding problem,
0: for lack of a better word.
1: And I understand why they did this transition, but exact is wider now and phrase has nothing to do with phrases and broad is actually more (laughs) precise. Um, Uh. I remember when someone uh, leaked or had an accidental screenshot some time ago, I think it got posted in search engine journal or search engine land or both of uh, a name of smart matching, which freaked out all the marketers because all of us are scared of everything that Google calls smarts. It feels like automation. But that's uh, effectively what broad match is now. Where broad match is, I'd almost call it an intent match, where they're looking at okay. um, they're looking at all sorts of signals besides just language, which is something I'm a huge fan of because language, uh, you and I could say beer and mean totally different things. So beer's not enough to figure out what we sure. want. So that's kind of what broad match is. Phrase, which is, uh, I guess, fuzzy match. <laughs> um, is closer to modified broad of the past, but but certainly not quite as effective as it used to be. And then exact is nowhere near exact anymore. So it's, <laughs> uh, all these things are different. And I think, I think to really take advantage of them, you got to kind of break what those words meant in the past and then look at them as like, okay, yeah, pretend that exact and phrase aren't words. And these are E match, P match, and B match. And look at them as something completely different. And I think that can help a lot of people's understanding versus trying to die with like, well, it's exact ish, but sort of not. And maybe there's French in there
0: sometimes. (laughs) I know. I know. It's okay. That's a very good way of thinking about it. That will reprogram my brain. I like it. Um, But there's another thing here, which is like so long expanded text ads. I've been doing this long enough to remember when expanded text ads replaced regular text ads. And that was a huge deal. Like Everyone was, was going nuts then. Uh, You know, I guess the the chronology is and then RSAs became the default ad type. But I remember like Google just recently, they recommended a combination of RSAs and expanded expanded text ads. That was like from Google, the best way to do things. I don't know. Starting in, in 2022, only RSAs. Is this change all that dramatic really, Aaron, or is this something Google has been Kind of going in this direction for some time. So this
1: is where I pat myself on the back and open delicious Chicken Nuggets beer and get (laughs) to drink some because I'm great. Uh, I predicted this in a lot of our pitches and a lot of conferences that we did uh, up to about a year ago. They've been going this direction for a while. I don't think this really shocks anyone. I mean, even expanded text ads now are kind of mad libs. Like, they'll shuffle the headlines around. They'll shuffle the description lines around. They sort of will show one. They sort of won't. Mm -hmm. Um, If they were to flip the switch today and say all RSA's starting October 1st uh, should be tomorrow uh, for, for recording this. It's um, it would be a big problem. They're not ready for prime time yet, mm. but okay. the longer term future and where I anticipate them going is more of a, we'll stick with Mad Libs. It's kind of controlled Madlibs. So uh, Google's whole thing is, is right. simplification in some way, shape or form that like you have, Less buttons to push, but a lot more inputs to tell the robot what to do. So kind of expect that there will be a lot more things like that within RSAs that you can pin a headline to an audience or like serve a certain ad to a geo or this line to a different geo. If slash when that comes, these things are going to be amazing. But I think as you read a lot of the information out there and a lot of the complaints and fears are that reporting is pretty limited right now. Optimization is basically just Google likes this one or not. Uh, and you kind of have to fish for everything, but I don't think that'll be the case forever.
0: All right, well, very good, and congratulations on your uh, prediction. Pass me is so,
1: pass me is I so smart. I am absolutely
0: terrible at those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, I, here's, here's a question. I wonder if we're a little overly focused on just RSAs versus expanded text ads What I mean is you you wrote an article earlier this year in SEJ about ad formats. There's a lot more than just expanded text ads. There's a lot more than just RSAs. There's things just for hotels. There's shopping ads. There's LSAs. There's map ads. When you start out a project, are you really thinking about sort of a kaleidoscope of ad formats rather than so – Narrowly focused on RSAs and expanded text ads. Yeah, I'd
1: actually almost go a step further. And I mean, I, I know that y'all had a, a session a couple of weeks ago. I forget the gentleman's name talking about uh, SEO and paid search alignment. Uh, my boss and I have jokingly called it Serpius Maximus because it moves around a lot. It transforms. And there's a lot of parts <laughs> of it that you don't really know what they are. Um but so, I mean, thinking about uh, map packs combined with ad units, combined with LSAs, combined with what are probably going to be more feed-based lead gen ads, combined with, like, the little sponsored knowledge panel things that show up sometimes. It's going to be a bigger picture of, of looking at the searcher experience as a whole, including ad units, including organic. Just remembering that uh, whatever we can do to get people to the site and to get them to buy the thing we want or fill out the form we want or click on the picture we want... It doesn't really matter where they come from but it's about the whole broader searcher experience and even though our teams are probably siloed and they're different skill sets a person doesn't know mm-hmm. that and, and yes. so i mean the rollout of lsas is a good example where it was a feed-based ad and from our perspective it's wildly different oh my god there's no bidding uh i don't really know how to control leads we have yeah. to do insurance licenses but that's all in mind of making the experience the easiest for the consumer and tinfoil hat keeping people on google but by the same token, it was the consumer didn't see a different experience. So us treating it as a different experience, we really had to be careful and just making sure that all the lead funnels went
0: to the same places. All right. I dig it. Well, there's here's one other change I wanted to talk to you about that I don't think is going to be controversial. I think both of us are going to like this. Uh, it's an effort to move away from last click attribution to something called data driven attribution. I think we can all rejoice that last click attribution is not the default way to do things anymore, that there are better ways to assign attribution. What is data-driven attribution and why is this a change that I think we're both going to be having? Yeah,
1: I'm going to get the name of the statistical modeling wrong, but effectively it's um, (laughs) Google trying to figure out if the absence, if a conversion would have happened without a prior step happening. That's how they weighed it. Okay. So uh, there's uh, certainly plenty of conspiracy theories about like, oh, Google's just going to take credit for more. Not really. It's kind of just moving food around their plate. But in our world, that's pretty helpful because, as we know, no one just decides to go search for chicken nugget beer and then immediately buy it. Uh, it's much more likely that there was stuff that happened beforehand. So uh, last click, of course, only reflects that Aaron walked by the beer store and bought the beer. It doesn't reflect it. Aaron is a snot and researches his beer and thinks that funny (laughs) cans are not delicious. But so the part about this change, it's, it's kind of a big change and kind of a small change at once. So it's a shift of the default, which is nice because that will presumably make conversations easier later on talking about uh, attribution, dividing credit out, uh, things like that. It's obviously going to be a change for, for folks who want to have their decisions made easier saying that like this keyword worked, let's bid more for that one. That was kind of a lie, even though we got used to it for 20 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: I mean, I certainly have a, a number of thoughts that uh, data-driven attribution within a single channel isn't great because it just sort of shows what you do within the Google atmosphere. But it's better than nothing, and it's a good start.
0: All right. Well, if there's anything more uh, contentious than attribution in marketing, it is bidding on branded traffic in paid, paid search. So like everybody hates this. I did some research. I found an article that you wrote. You just captured it so well, kind of like the, the mindset of it. There's like this, uh, the article starts like, should you bid on brand terms in PBC? And then you say, you go like, you go, yes, but also no, but mostly yes, but not always. It was like the greatest, uh, interpretation (laughs) of it depends. I have, I have ever seen, uh, you know, the idea is, man, this things It's just, a, it, they should really just, they're looking for my brand, they should just give me an organic result and I shouldn't have to pay for it. In reality, as somebody who's like working in the trenches, how do you think about paying for branded traffic?
1: You should spend as little as possible to get as much as possible. And so okay. where, where I say that is, um, a lot of people view branded search as binary. Like if it has, if it has, stickman or plain chicken nuggets in the name then uh, we got to be there all the time make sure our impression shares as close to as hundred as possible that's nice for people that operate on percentage of spend models uh for agencies to collect their fees that way and it's nice for google but it does make a whole lot of sense from from uh you know consumer marketing perspective what we're looking for is is and I'll acknowledge ahead of time as I acknowledge in the article that, that you shouted out, which thank you for reading. Um, is isn't a one size fits all, of course, but you want to think of things that like look, looking towards intent and what intent you can pull out of language. So, uh, okay, if we know that a person clicked on our competitor's ad and then are searching for our brand term, it's pretty good. Uh, we want that person because they're not sure what they want if someone's been a customer for 10 years and they buy every month, like we don't need to pay for them again. They're going to come back anyway. But so thinking about those things that are, uh, you know, what people would historically call a core brand term, which would be just the brand name or just the URL spend as little as you can to be there. But when there are things like your brand versus other brands, those sort of things that fall into the middle decision funnel, I mean, uh, I'm personally shopping for a car right now. And so I'm doing a lot of these X versus Y searches. Those aren't branded searches. If I'm searching for Volvo S60 versus Audi S5, which somebody please tell me which I should buy, um, (laughs) it's not branded for either one of those. It's me looking for information. And in some cases, we've actually had a lot of success letting go of those terms and giving them to affiliates, giving them to aggregators. Because they're not looking for us yet. They will be later. But just reimagining yeah. what brand terms are can make those decisions a lot easier. You still should bid on your pure brand term. It's annoying. Everyone hates it. Sometimes there's competitors there. Sometimes there's not. And so trying to make that decision is a challenge. But I think the the broader focus is to be there, but spend as little as you can. You got to play defense, but also um, play offense.
0: That makes that makes perfect sense. I, I think that's the right way to approach it. So. I want to abruptly shift gears here to uh, you know it, basically just managing uh, a PPC department. You you if if my research is correct you manage a very large department. Um you know I wonder if I could like pick your brain because that seems like very hard. Whenever I think about this, I go my brain immediately goes to like processes and procedures for the department. Uh, you know like what do you feel like keeps you on track when you're trying to manage I, I my research is right. Correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron. But I, I, my research is right. You're close to like 60 people in this department, or something like that. Uh, what do you? What are the most important, you know, internal processes and procedures that have allowed you to scale the department and make you not lose your mind when you're trying to manage? Uh, yeah,
1: people? actually, my team's uh, closer to we're about 110 right now, uh, and we're no hiring. If, I got an outdated. Anyone of wants jobs? Um, that's all right. Uh, but no, I mean, it's uh, the first thing that I'll say is the key to managing a bunch of people is to have good people to manage the other people. And so right, our, our right. philosophy as an agency has always been um, hire good people and get out of their way. And so to that token, I have, a, I have a pretty well-structured management team, which is what we've been working on building the most this year, is just making sure that we get the right people in the right seats, making sure that managers have the right amount of time to devote to their people, uh, but by the same token, we actually don't follow uh, uh, like a pyramid structure like you might have at a, at a typical larger agency where okay. it's an account supervisor who manages account managers who manage a coordinator. We don't do that because we tend right. to find that people get bored uh, working with the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So we operate a little bit more on a, a hub and spoke model where there's like little cores of people who report to a manager and then they overlap with different teams. But uh, I think the core, to get back to it, to how I keep track of all of it is, is number one, I, I don't. Um, <laughs> I, I rely on a lot of people to have a lot of things correct. And, and that's the nice part about having a team of 110 is that there are people you can take a lot of those roles over okay. from. But effectively, it's, it's kind of like being the, uh, the coxswain on a, uh, uh, I was about to say a rowing ship, but a, a rowboat. Uh, where you're telling people to row, mm-hmm. I'm pointing the direction and steering. I'm not doing the rowing. And That's so right. for these folks, I, right. I really want to make sure that they're in the right place to make sure that we have escalation level experts because I can't expect 110 people to all be experts on everything paid search. But what we can do is find what we call centers of excellence. Uh, where We have one person who's the go-to for LSAs or we have one person who's the go-to for... Uh, certain technology and we have a team who's dedicated to GDA and YouTube so we can make sure that we always have an answer to whatever question might come up and give our clients all the support that they may need for whatever, whatever initiative they might want but without putting insane expectations on our team so we can make sure they work as little as possible.
0: I love it and I mean I think that the the other challenge I could think of is just like quality and training. So like you have you have to you ensure over a hundred people are doing work to a certain standard. Uh, they need to be trained to even do that, to have that expectation. And then you have to have this like quality control process in place. Uh, you know, like all this seems very daunting to me and you seem very cool and calm. Although we are drinking, <laughs> in, so maybe, that might, maybe that might explain it, but like, how do you not, uh, like, how do you ensure the quality of 110 people? Some of whom are very new and need to be trained and and come on board. How, tips and strategies for quality control within. Yeah, the,
1: so we have a, an expectation of mentorship along. Uh, answer two parts of your question separately. So within our team, even though we don't have that direct management pyramid structure, we have an expectation built into our our more senior uh, individual contributors that they are expected to teach, they are expected to mentor, they are expected to coach. And we honestly find that people tend to like that a lot more versus being in a pure management uh, pyramid because that way they get to do the fun parts of management and learn into the coaching part without having to worry about the part that makes a lot of new managers anxious of like, oh, God, how do I get bad feedback? But so within that, that certainly helps in the training process. And then we, we, number one, it it engages our senior folks a lot more because they like it and engages the junior folks a lot more because then they get coached by someone who's not their manager. Which gives them a little bit right. more freedom to ask questions because they're not afraid of how they look, and in in turn, along with that, uh, I mean, to the quality control perspective, uh, obviously we have have QA processes and sheets in place. We don't make people like fill out a little checkbox for everything, but the idea is that we'll make everyone you know take a look at major changes the next day because if you find it make a change in the afternoon, find it in the morning something's wrong, impact is pretty small. Um, and then, of course, we are uh, very happy with our friends' robots. So we have a couple of uh, alert scripts set up that will um, use Zapier and zap it over to a Slack channel so everyone gets alerted if there's a problem, if uh, an account goes down, if a campaign spikes or stuff like that. So mix of um, okay. a mix of manual, old-fashioned, hey, does this look right to you? And also some automation to catch stuff before it becomes a problem so you don't have to scoreboard watch all day long.
0: Well, it makes makes perfect sense. Well, I wonder if I could bug you for one more prediction. You had uh, your your agency actually had a published a really interesting white paper. It was about Q two benchmarks, and really a big theme was we're coming out of the pandemic. At that at that point, it was like money is going to be coming back into the play, into into play here, uh, certainly in specific industries more so than others. I wonder if you think you have any predictions? We're about to wrap up Q3 as we're filming this. We'll air this just into Q1 of the next year. So I wonder if you have any predictions on what's going to happen in Q4 as you look at the larger world of PBC and what what trends might emerge. Oh,
1: there's going to be a lot of volatility in CPCs. Um, (laughs) So much of it is going to depend on – I mean, we saw this last year but for a different reason in different industries so last year thinking about uh travel service businesses or uh home improvement you saw lots of volatility depending on what mandates were in place and so if people were bored oh my god i'm gonna go panic buy everything for home depot and pay my office which is, may or may not be the third color this office has been this year um and then you think about you know, pent-up demand for travel. The second travel was open, everyone rushed to travel. And so I think there's going to be a lot of that panic buying. But instead of from a services place or things that I can do versus I can't do, it's probably going to be a lot more with uh, shipping and with uh, supply chain. So people are going to run out of stuff. Mm. They're going to panic go to the next retailer. That retailer is going to see success, bid things up until they run out go to the next retailer and things are going to be bid up again because the floor is already artificially inflated. So uh, something that we saw last year, I mean, you can think of it like uh, the great toilet paper crisis of 2019 uh, or 2020 <laughs> rather,
0: <laughs> right, where
1: right. like you just go from store to store and you just buy whatever's there. And so yeah. I would frankly expect a little something like that in Q4 that we'll probably see like sequential bumps of, of just random stuff happening based on demand and based on shipping load. I think the other thing is okay. we always talk about um, you know, free shipping is kind of a must have these days and like you want to have it in your ad copy. Uh, I think that shipping guarantees will be a huge differentiator and offers for next day or second day. Those usually show up pretty late mm-hmm. in the year, like a week left before the shipping cutoff. I think we'll start seeing that as a big offer and a big push from a lot of places starting probably Thanksgiving
0: it makes makes perfect sense it's going to be an interesting Q4 Aaron if uh, your your predictions have been good so far we'll see how this one turns out but I I want to just kind of wrap up here if people want to get in touch with you or your agency what's uh, the best way to do that what's your favorite social media what's your go-to handle yeah on
1: Twitter I'm big a little a just like my name and then a little one mm-hmm. uh or you can look me up on linkedin our agency is tenuity.com uh which a lot of people don't know how to pronounce it so now you do uh but <laughs> i'd say uh just go to our site and poking around uh i believe our our general contact email is just say hello at tenuity.com but of course uh, feel free to email myself my email is just first dot last at tenuity and i can help direct traffic
0: well, like I got to tell you, you rocked our hundredth episode. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers from Chicago. You're a uh, there's a lot of really good digital markers out there in Philadelphia. I keep meeting them, and it's like there's these little pockets of America where there's a bunch of absolute superstars. But uh, Philadelphia's is. yeah we, one uh, of we them. got a good community um, here.
1: We'd love to have visitors.
0: We'll, we'll be out there before long, so we'll have to do this in person. Uh, for now, I'll sign off. We'll be back next week with another episode of Thanks Search. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Aaron.